This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. Our Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord God, for your love and your grace towards us. We thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we praise you that it is not through our strength, but it is through the blood of the cross, through faith in the work that Jesus accomplished, and that that work was complete in itself as he spoke before he yielded up his life. It is finished. And we praise you for this. Lord, strengthen our faith and help us to live each day trusting and believing. We praise you and we love you, Lord, for all you've done for us. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, uh, we've looked at so far in this um, this little series, Faith, and this is not to be confused with positive thinking, uh, not the same thing, but true faith, in fact, is um, uh, strengthened in trials and strengthened in tribulation. Uh, we've looked at time, uh, and, and there are so many times that we would like God to do things on our time frame, uh, but God does things on his time frame, and your growth is in God's hands, and he will complete that. Um, and I don't know if there's any people here who, who um, are impatient, other than me, maybe, uh, impulsive, all the ims, um, but... God has his timing in things, and there is a reason for that. That's connected into some of the other stuff that we've been talking about in this. Um, and our job in, in this time process is to allow or, or focus our hearts uh, on God, you know, on, on God, and just that simply. And, and so there is further detail in that message if you look it up. We looked at acceptance that the Father accepts those who have placed their faith in Christ Jesus, that acceptance is not on the basis of any merit that we have or, you know, long-standing uh, religious membership or, or affiliation uh, with any denomination. All those kinds of things were not born into Christianity. Um, we, we do make that mistake often, don't we? We, we will say things like, oh, uh, our son was born in a Christian home. Now, I've had a look at the bricks on our home and they're not Christian. You know, they, they don't say anything. They're just bricks. The home is not Christian. But, but Suzanne and I did endeavour to create an environment in which uh, our faith in Jesus Christ was encouraged and in which we taught our children those things and we praise God for the fruit of that. But the fruit of that is that they have individually become believers in Jesus Christ. And that's the important thing because all people must be born again. God has no grandchildren. and um, uh, But all believers have full acceptance in Jesus Christ. And we've looked at purpose as well. And not to be confused with 40 days of purpose or, or any such program, finding purpose, 
purposeful living or whatever there might be. There's, there's so much stuff on that because it ties right into the positive mentality kind of thinking and the um, uh, modes of training and, and encouraging people to really get out there and and be super achievers in life. Um, but that God has a purpose. And can anyone remember what God's purpose for you is? To become like Jesus, right? And one of the verses, we, we mentioned Romans 8, uh, 29, but another verse that we mentioned also is Second uh, Corinthians 4, 11, that the life also of Jesus Christ might be made manifest in your mortal flesh. So while you're alive and until you die, that you might exhibit the person of Jesus in this world around you. And this is God's purpose for you. So let's look a little bit at preparation this morning. Um, because in, in order for God to achieve that purpose, he takes you through a process of preparation. And, um, and he is working on your life to prepare you for that which he has uh, in store for you. We know that God has this purpose for us, conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. And he's shown his methods for that, that in his timing and uh, these kinds of things. He will achieve these things. So with this, we can have confidence in God and we can rest in him knowing that he is working toward the end that he has for us uh, in life and that God will not stop working toward that until he has achieved it. So uh, as we move on here this morning, Matthew 5, verse 6, in the process of growth preparation, Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hosea 6 verse 1, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. Now, I realize that there is context within Hosea that applies to Judah and Israel. And, um, you know, that we don't just take all of the uh, prophetic uh, declarations of Hosea and just apply it straight over to the church. Um, however, there's a principle in that text that I want you to see. And that principle is repentance is accompanied by God's restoration. And that uh, Hosea is pointing out to the people of Israel and Judah that because of their sin, God has then done a work to break them down that they will turn toward him and he will then bring restoration to them. And so oftentimes God leads us in life to places of brokenness within uh, so that we gain that revelation of the sin that we're committing, of the, of the actions that we've been committing in our lives that need repentance of, and that in turning from that sin, then God brings about a restoration in our lives. And, and we praise God for that. Amen. Now, one thing that we can see 
here and, and you kind of, when you see these verses and, and couple them together, verse 6, uh, sorry, Hosea 6, we see here this declaration that God has done something and he's calling the people to return. And Hosea says, he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. Matthew 5 verse 6 takes it from a little bit of a different angle and it talks about those who do recognize their condition. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. They are recognizing their condition and they're hungering and thirsting for it. Sorry, excuse me. So one of the basic or one basic ingredient for growth in the Christian life is the ingredient of need, that we would see our situation and see the true needs that we have spiritually and that we would hunger for God to fulfill those needs that we have. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Well, I think in the in the nation we live in, we probably really don't understand hunger in a in a true sense that that uh, people of that day and age in the Bible or people in uh, some third world countries we can remember the the horrible famines that have taken place in various countries in the continent of Africa uh, just terrible situations of people who are at extreme levels of hunger. Um, you've probably been thirsty at different times where, where it's just everything you can do to try and get a drink and satiate that thirst. And it, it's not with, it's not by mistake that Jesus uses that type of description in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst because it's something that the common man of those times would have experienced to various degrees uh, at various times in their lives and they would have a, a vivid recollection of it because it wasn't just that at nine o'clock at night they could drive down to the supermarket or 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 open up their Uber app and get food delivered because, man, I just just feel like I... Just feel like I could smash something down. That's not the idea of hungering and thirsting that the Bible is presenting to us. This is the situation where, you know, where they didn't have a tap. They went to the local well and prayerfully something dead hadn't fallen in it um, and destroyed the quality of that water um, so that it would have to be flushed out and cleaned out and wait many days for it to um, uh, to be to recover the issue is that when we don't recognize what our needs are we don't progress in the Christian life in those areas because we're we're not pressing into God regarding those needs he uses our needs to form us or, or to turn us rather, uh, from everything that is outward, 
all of the external blessings of life, and, and we have an overabundance of them in this world in which we live in, so many that we, we often don't see our needs because all of our wants are being satisfied, that we don't see the actual internal needs. And so God will uh, use circumstances to turn us away from all of those externals and turn us toward him because we're starting to see the true spiritual needs that we have within. As the old hymn states, not I, but Christ. And so we must understand this principle for growth. Uh, J.B. Stoney said, the soul never imbibes the truth in living power, but as it requires it. Now, restated from that uh, previous era of powerful English usage when the need of a powerful living truth arises then we reach out for it then we start to take it on think of it a little bit differently you're cruising through life and then all of a sudden you notice um, some medical condition you know, there's there's lots of ads on TV regarding skin cancer and in our nation, us uh, white Anglo-Saxons that were part of this colonisation and the development of this amazing nation. Uh, you know, it's we we suffer out in the sun, and and so um, skin cancer. Um, you know, this promotion by the government to be aware of, of the potential for skin cancer, that was never around when I was a child. They started the, I think one of the early campaigns was the slip, slop, slap ad and, um, uh, these kinds of things because skin cancer, uh, you know, it came onto the market back then. And, um, and so, but when you come into the, realization that you have some kind of condition like that or some other urgent condition that needs medical treatment uh, or, or a healing of some kind, it drives you in that direction. The, the recognition of the need will drive you to prayer. The recognition of the need might drive you in that case to a doctor as well. And, and so it drives you to that because you need a medical conclusion or a conclusion to that physical thing. And this is what Stoney is, is saying there, that the recognition of the need that we have, that's what drives the soul to finding the conclusion to that, to drinking uh, from the elixir that would solve that. Growth occurs... Because our needs drive us to the Lord for answers. It's then that we reach out and we appropriate the truths of Scripture by faith. These truths that come from the, the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we appropriate them because the needs that we have are signaling that to us. Now, this is the same when you and I are ministering uh, to others or serving or witnessing uh, to people and, and whatever it might be. Um, you know that one of, the, one of the great dilemmas that came out of um, 
uh, the revival movement. So I'm trying to think of his name from the 1800s. Um, the modern altar call came out of his... Finney, Charles Finney, thanks. Came out of his um, um, ministry and his teachings. And one of the great dilemmas is that this whole altar call thing in the modern era is now driven by emotive music and emotional cliches that are that are uh, delivered into the message as a result and it stirs about often an emotional response from people and and um, the encouragement is an arm across the shoulder and say this prayer with me and Jesus will be your Lord, you'll make heaven your home. And, and so uh, the person is emotionally sometimes even manipulated into that situation. I'm not saying that there are not genuine conversions that happen in that. There are many that happen in that. But we've seen from the great crusades of Billy Graham and, and various others that in many cases, without the conviction of sin, that a shallow prayer is said and then within a very short period of time and through some trials that person turns away from following the Lord and it's partly because they don't realise that their true need has not been presented to them in actual fact. A benefits program has been presented to them and they've been told become a Christian and you'll have love, joy, peace and happy juice and all these things, and, and so they become a Christian to get these benefits. It's not surrendering and yielding to the Lord over a contrition for their sin and and uh, and deep understanding of this spiritual need that they have, uh, that they're truly in spiritual need of healing for. And, uh, you know, this is part of true ministry to people, is that we would be agents used by God to help Seed the heart in that direction of recognizing its need so that uh, there would then be abiding fruit. Stoney also said the true value of anything is known only when it's wanted. And that's the case with art. Oh, how much is that worth? Well, how much it's worth is an entirely different question to how much will people pay. Because what it's worth could be calculated just by the cost of the canvas and the inks or the paints uh, and and a cost per hour of the labour. And so if you look at the famous painting that Gough Whitlam invested in for the Parliament House, uh, Blue Poles uh, in in uh, Canberra, you know, the average Aussie shook their head and said, what a waste of money, a million dollars for that. And it's now worth millions worth because that's what people in the art world will pay for it. It's not anything to do with the value of the materials or the the art. It's in the eye of the beholder. And so Stoney is saying that the, the true value of anything is known only when it's wanted. And so when we present the issue of salvation and we present the issue of the value of a person's soul and the cost of their sin and the eternity uh, of, of their damnation as a result of their sin as contrasted to eternal life and joy in Christ Jesus, the, the job of the gospel worker is that you and I would help bring people to an understanding of how valuable they are and how great their need is in God's eyes. But this goes to 
all of our needs that we have in the Christian life. Darby said that wisdom and philosophy never found out God. He makes himself known to us through our needs. Necessity finds him out. I doubt much if we have ever learned anything solidly except we have learned it thus. Now, he's not decrying wisdom or philosophy. In fact, uh, philosophy is often a great tool for uh, uh, evangelism. They often help people to unlock the, the revelation of personal need that they have. And but but he's saying that those alone are not sufficient for a person. God makes himself known to people often in their weakness, and you you hear that time and time again in people's personal testimonies. You know, they will talk about their lives and talk about how God opened their eyes to their sinful condition. And oftentimes it was because their life had taken a rather rocky detour. It it wasn't that everything was smooth sailing because when everything is smooth sailing, you're just sitting back sipping Chardonnay on the deck, you know. But when the when life circumstances get difficult and get rough, it is man the sails. Everyone gets to a rope and, and someone gets to the helm and they're trying to steer that ship because the conditions are rough. And spiritually, it's a little bit the same, that when you and I are just cruising through life, we're just coasting, we're taking it easy, going along. But then when circumstances turn around, that's when God begins to wake us up. And so often is the case. Many conversions on the battlefield uh, as a result of people seeing the absolute dire circumstances they were in. Many genuine conversions, simple prayers of people who prayed, God, I'm stuck and I need your help. You know, because they realized at that point there's just, there's no, it's out of their control. You know, it's beyond them. Seeing sin like that is such an important thing. And this is the importance of of the gospel worker is to be able to sow that seed into people's hearts that helps them to see themselves for who they truly are. Without spiritual hunger, we cannot be nourished by the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be, shall be satisfied, shall be filled Numbered by the Lord. Yep. Amen. Matthew 5 6 means so much to everyone who's had that personal experience. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, all too often, believers are exhorted and even pressured to grow. You know, when the, the, um, I've mentioned a couple of times the structure of the movement that Suzanne and I were in before, that there was a structure there that brought young disciples in and there was a program put in place that that focused on the external achievement of people, that they were turning up to meetings and they were being at prayer meetings and being at evangelism and all these things then became the spiritual health checklist 
by the leaders of the church in order to prom- to promote people through ministry, and uh, there's this these become external indicators of apparent growth. But within, often these people are spiritually dying and don't realize their their needs that they have because everything is being temporarily satiated like a few drops of water uh, on the tongue of, of someone who really has a, an intense need, uh, an intense thirst. So there is often this spiritual hunger that has gone unnoticed and we we often see the case that so much evangelistic work comes to nothing in the long run and it shouldn't be the case but it often results in nothing apart from a genuine conviction of personal sin Evangelism is not about getting someone to join a church. If you join Sean and and Chris and uh, others and go out on the streets and evangelize, it's not about trying to, you know, put bottoms on seats in in the church. It's not about that. It is about helping people firstly and foremost to see their need of sin and to see that the only answer to that sin is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And apart from this personal conviction of sin, this revelation, the sinner doesn't realize he's lost. Imagine being lost and not realizing it. I I watch a bit of the Paris to Dakar, um, a a different version of it. There's two versions, the original and there's um, there's another one. which is quite different, but often uh, in the different stages, you'll see the competitors being interviewed and they'll say, we were following the road book and we missed a turn. And they ended up a couple of hours delayed because they couldn't find their way back to where they should have been so that they could go past a signpost or a checkpoint and otherwise they lose points. And so the same for the person who doesn't realise that his sin He's not going to realize he's lost. So why does a person need to be found if they're not lost? And that's that's your job and my job as gospel workers, but that's also the issue of our lives is that seeing the areas of need that we have in life that we need to grow in, those are the areas that we need to be yearning before God for answers to. Watchman knee and I've mentioned him before and, and I'd say again just be cautious with his later materials but his early stuff was good um, he believed that God sets us here to help others to see their true needs and stir them toward a hunger for answers and he said no true work will ever begin without a sense of need being created We cannot inject that into others. We cannot drive people to be hungry. That hunger is to be created and that hunger can be created only through those who carry the impressions of God. Remember, we talked about God's uh, purpose in your life is to mould you into the image of Jesus Christ, that you would be an image bearer in this world 
of Jesus. And it is only those people who bear the image of Jesus in the world, those who are conformed into the image of Christ, as Paul says, that can truly help to create that hunger in the unbeliever's life. Remember Hosea, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. Well, there is a tearing down that God will do in your life and he will do this periodically. Beware when a man thinks he stands, lest he fall. This is is how God works in your life, that there are times in which we will become proud in certain issues and God will help to bring us down because at that place we are brought to a place of humility that hungers for him to lift us out of that behavior that is causing that. And this is how God helps us to see ourselves. A devastating thing. One man said it is more than comforting to realize that it is those who have plumbed the depths of failure to whom God invariably gives the call to shepherd others. This is not a call given to the gifted, the highly trained or the polished as such. God breaks people down to use them. That's what he does. And you may be at one of those stages in your life now. I I don't know... Uh, the circumstances of your life, but you may be having a realization about yourself that is a devastating realization. It's in this time that you will be blessed to hunger and thirst after God for knowledge and for learning about that issue that you're facing. Another man said, without a bitter experience of their own inadequacy and poverty, they are quite unfitted to bear the burden of spiritual ministry. It takes a man who has discovered something of the measures of his own weakness to be patient with the foibles of others. It takes a man who has discovered something of the measures of his own weakness to be patient with the foibles of others. Such a man also has a first-hand knowledge of the loving care of the chief shepherd and his ability to heal one who has come to humbly trust in him and him alone. Therefore, he does not easily despair of others, but looks beyond sinfulness, willfulness, and stupidity to the might of unchanging love. When you and I have been broken down by God and he's built us up again, we can look past people's mistakes and see that God can do that in their lives as well. Because we realize just how low we were before God lifted us up. He went on and he said, The Lord Jesus does not give the charge, be a shepherd to my lambs, to my sheep, on hearing Peter's self-confident affirmation of undying loyalty. Although all other men forsake thee, Lord, not I. That's not when Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. But he gives it after he has utterly failed to keep his vows and has wept bitterly in the streets of Jerusalem. 
That's when the Lord said to Peter, feed my sheep. When he had broken him down. Because it's there that Peter realised his need and then in his finding the answers to his own needs, he can meet the needs of other people. He can feed them. God's preparations are deep and thorough. Deep and thorough. You don't want a, a surgeon to go in and half cut out your cancer and say, listen, we... We took 60% and that's that's pretty good on the law of averages, you know. You, you wouldn't want that, to take out half your burst appendix or to drill down to that nerve and then leave it exposed in your tooth. You'd love that, wouldn't you, when that anaesthetic wears off. You know, well, we took the rotten bit of tooth out. God's preparations are deep and thorough. It means they're going to hurt sometimes. But he does this so that our lives will be Christ-centered, our walk will be Holy Spirit-led, not self-reliant, and our service will glorify the Father. This is what Jesus is trying to do in you, that your life would be such that you would glorify the Father as you go through your Christian life. Sooner or later, the Holy Spirit makes you and I aware of our basic problems, our indifferences, our infinite, seemingly infinite dif- difference between us and Jesus. Because I don't know if you haven't realised it yet, but you're not you're not conformed yet to the image of Christ. Now, you know you you may sit in church and feel all holy and sanctified and praise God for that, but next time you get snippy with your spouse, next time you say something cutting to someone, next time under your breath you say that nasty thing about someone, just think of Jesus. You know, Think of how far you still have to go. Because the Holy Spirit, Romans 8.29, says that God is transforming us. He's conforming us into the image of Christ. That this is his purpose for all believers. And, and we're not there yet. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I will give you rest. This is the promise of Jesus. But part of that realizing of the need for rest or part of the achieving of rest is realizing the needs that we have, seeing the burdens that we have, seeing how we are heavily laden and coming to the Lord so that in that 
He will give us rest in that time. And so the person who's found justification comes to rest over their sin. Amen? Remember when you first became a believer and that weight of sin was lifted off you? And someone says to you the next day, what's happened to you? You look different. You say, man, last night I gave my life to Jesus. You what? I gave my life to Jesus. And everything has changed. You know, that next day after you became a believer, you knew everything had changed. Within moments, you knew knew everything had changed. Sometimes even physically, things changed. Just go back to there because there is a struggle that God uses in preparing us. Notice that, verse 28, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. There's the struggle, laboring and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. So there's a struggle that God uses in preparing us. And the great struggle is seeing self for what it truly is and attempting to be free from its evil power and influence. Turn to Galatians 5. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then Paul goes into a list of the results of the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and so on and so on. He goes through this list and he talks in about the works of the flesh or the the outcomes of living the fleshly life. Then in verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Now, the fruit of the Spirit, in contrast to the works of the flesh, that's why there is the but there. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Anyone here found yourself being impatient, for example? All right, you still got some conforming into the image of Christ to do then. Found yourself being unloving from time to time? You still got some conforming. Because this fruit of the Spirit... This is the image of Christ being born out in your life. When when God is at work producing the fruit of the Spirit in your life, He is producing an external display of the life of Jesus in you. So that when you show love to that workmate, for example, who has said the most despicable thing to you because you're a believer, and and you know personalities maybe have crossed as well and. And uh, and your gospel stance is crossed with them, 
But because you've made a stand and they've said some despicable and horrible things to you, instead of biting back like you would have before and digging in because your pride's been hurt or or because you want to really stand up for yourself, instead of doing that, you show love in return. That is you, that is God working the fruit of the Spirit out in your life in that time and it becomes an external demonstration of God's internal work. There is there is no real genuine and abiding um, uh, joy in the life of the person who lives under the dominion of their, their own self-rule, that, that when they're walking in the flesh, that, that genuine abiding joy of the Spirit is not resident in their lives. Because in me dwells no good thing, Paul said, Romans 7. In me, you know, he says, I, I know that. In me dwells no good thing. And so if I live in my own flesh, those no good things are going to be coming to the surface. That's what's going to be happening. And so when I am, am persecuted or, or someone criticizes me because of my Christian belief, I might bite back or because they know that if they, you know, they might stick with some Voltarian thinking that scratch a Christian, Voltaire said, scratch a Christian, find a pagan. He was convinced that if you just irritate Christians enough, the true pagan inner working is going to come out. But when you and I are walking in the Spirit, they're not going to see that. They're going to see the life of Jesus manifest through you. And God uses these difficulties to expose yourself to you so that you can see the gap between you and Jesus so that will become the yearning of your heart. God, there are some failings in me, Lord, because I just want to smash this guy. I want to tear his head off. You, you know, I don't know about you, but I've felt like that sometimes. You know, there are some people who really take pleasure in irritating you as a believer. Like they take pleasure. I've worked with several of those kinds of people. That when you walk into the room, oh, look out, God's representative is here. (laughs) Like, like fair income, and then it begins, and it just goes all day. All day, and, you know, it gets wearing, it wears you down, and it's intended to do that. Because they want you. They want you to flare up. In that moment, they can see, aha, there he is. I knew you were in there somewhere. You know? I've worked with a guy who was so vile that one day, like, he was going off and he is up-fingering God and swearing at God, all kinds of things in the workplace, that I moved away from him because I thought God might strike him. Like... (laughs) I'm being fed income. I thought, how can God be so patient with this? It had gone from being this anger at me to being this anger at God. And I'm thinking, God, please be accurate. You know? <laughs> like, I'm serious. This is how I felt. There was a 
that was a broad menace. He's dead now. He committed adultery on his wife. He used to brag about having dragged this good little Baptist girl into becoming an atheist. And meanwhile, he was committing adultery the whole time he was exposed and within a few months he died. God was accurate. Yeah, he was. Even the guys that work, um, because I'd left Australia Post in the interim, but they, one, one of them who became my, um, postie, uh, he was telling me about it. He was saying, you know, it was, it really shocked them and they could see what a, um, how bad he was being. I'll finish with this quote. Not in babyhood are we able to continually abide in his presence. So God is using these circumstances to mature us, right? Children don't understand all their needs, but they they certainly make you understand their needs, right? But they don't understand them necessarily, these inner yearnings, you know, when the babies cry for milk and these kinds of things. Not in babyhood are we able to continually abide in his presence regardless of our surroundings and that which we are doing. Not when we serve him with intermittent zeal does our own soul grow and thrive. Not when we are indifferent are we watered from the presence of the Lord. Just think about that for a moment. It's not when we're indifferent to God that we're watered from his presence. That's not when we receive the joy of being in his presence, when we're indifferent towards him and indifferent towards our spiritual needs. It is after we have been subdued, refined and chastened. When love of self and the whole world is gone, we learn to abide in touch with him at all times and in all places or surroundings. When love of self and the world is gone, that's when we learn to abide in touch with him at all times, in all places and surroundings. See, the value of both the struggle to free ourselves from the old life and from our self-life and the fruitless efforts of various different experiences and all these kinds of things, is to realise that in actual fact these things are futile. They're very futile. Our, they, they do not bring fruit with them. But the... The issue is learning to abide in Jesus. And Paul said in Philippians, being confident of this very thing, that he, which has begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. See, our job is just to humble ourselves. It's not to try and produce the fruit. God produces the fruit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of labor. It's not the fruit of effort. That's, that's not to say that we are, um, you know, we're just like someone in an iron lung. You know, we're just laying there. It, it is to say that we turn our hearts toward the Lord and that we go through, you know, my, my first pastor used to say that patience is going about the normal duties of life while waiting for God to accomplish his purpose. You know, that, that we just go about doing what we know is right to do and we go about yearning for God and we go about hungering after Him and we let God take us in the direction that He wants to take us. We let Him produce the outcomes in our lives that He wants to produce. Philippians 2 
Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's no question that we began the Christian life by sheer beautiful grace. I love that song we sang this morning. Grace, grace, marvellous grace, wonderful grace. There's no doubt we began the Christian life because of that grace. By grace you are saved. But we have to continue it on the same basis. Not turn from grace to works. Now, I am not saying that works are not valuable, but they're works in Christ Jesus. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So the good works are coming there. They're part of this fruit that God is working in our lives. So we must continue the Christian life on the same basis of yearning for God's grace to be at work in our lives because we will often desire to go ahead just in our own flesh and you know I know in my life that every time any time I do that there's just so many bad outcomes from that it damages relationships it damages my own spiritual growth all these things until I realise that I need to get me out of the picture and let the Lord Jesus have his way, have his rule and reign. So God is using these difficult circumstances of life to bring you and I to this, this place in which we will humble ourselves and hunger and thirst for righteousness, for then we shall be filled. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.